Hey folks, welcome back to the Grad Life Podcast. This week's episode is brought to you by PwC. Uh, PwC are a partner of Grad Life and they've got a whole host of options available for students of all stages. So no matter what year in college you're in, if you head over to www.pwc.ie forward slash student, you'll see all the programs they have there and there'll almost definitely be something there to take your fancy and to progress you towards being a more employable grad. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Grad Life Podcast. It's me, Danny, and I'm your host for today's careers episode. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined today by a very interesting character, Chris Best. Chris is the founder of Frontier Sports Management. He previously worked in the Pro 14, Aviva, and also did some uh, time on the European Tour of Golf. Chris, thanks for taking the time to join me, mate. Danny, thanks very much for having me on. Um, it's probably one of my, this is my debut in the podcast world, so uh Bear with me, but very excited to, to be on, for sure. In, in for an easy ride anyway. <laughs> uh, Chris, the industry of sports management is one that people know very little about in truth. So before we crack into your role and how you got there, why don't we just peel it back to your time spent in college? You're obviously from the north. You came down to study in UCD. Where you studied? Geography? Pep, yeah, it's, a, it's, an, it's an arts. It's actually a variation of arts, but yeah, geography, planning, environmental policy. There was logic behind that because um, our family industry is real estate. So that was the path that I was kind of meant to go down. So the planning piece would allow me to, to move into a master's in real estate, which would allow me to, to track back into that world. So that was the reason for that slightly random uh, course down UCD. So you did the three years, you transitioned over to a real estate master's in CAS Business School. Yep, correct. And then... This obviously has no correlation to you going into sports management. When when did you realise that the real estate stuff wasn't really for yourself? Yeah, I think and I think I suppose for anyone out there in on the grad side listening to this, I think you know you don't have to have your you don't have to have that dream job in mind coming out of school, going into university. I suppose yeah, I did the real estate masters. It was all kind of path out for me. Got a commercial, got a very good commercial job in a big big firm in London. Um, and I just realised I wasn't the passion wasn't there, and I think, you know, it was always I was always drawn back towards sports in my in my time, in my leisure time I would always be reading about sport, looking at deals in sports. So there was always a, I was always drawn back towards something I was passionate about. So that was, there wasn't any particular seminal moment, but I just knew, there was something out there that I wasn't chasing. So that's what I was always going to pivot away from real estate in my mind, and uh, it, it took a bit of it took a bit of. Um, Took a bit of bravery to do it, but I eventually, eventually took the plunge, and moved moved into it. And in college, you did have quite an involvement in sport. You're about involved in the rugby club and the golf society in UCD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it would have been very hard. Like the the sporting side in, in UCD is brilliant. Like I mean, anyone going to UCD definitely get involved in the sports side because it was a big part of my social life, big part of my college experience. So I think my experience in university would have been very different without those involvements in sports. So. Definitely, if you're in any way sport, you get stuck in. Even if you're not, it's it's it certainly personally. I, I don't know about you, Danny, but that element of college was was a big part of my life, my social life, and my enjoyment of college as well. So the people you're involved with the sports club in, you tend to socialise with as well. Exactly, I'm still friends with a lot of them, you know, which is great. So definitely, um, definitely get involved. And I suppose then the transition across into sports, it seems like one that's very hard to kind of wrap your head around people going into college especially grads wanting a career in sports do I study sports management in UCD do I study law what's the course of study 
you had a real estate master's that's it. and you transitioned across. How did you find that kind of transition into the sports management side? Yeah, I got it. and there isn't a trodden path, that's the thing. I think, you know, even where I am now, there was no part of me six, five, six years ago thought I'd be sitting here as a, as a, as a founder of a, of a sports business. But it, it, it takes, I suppose, the first step is realising what you're passionate about and realising that you want to make that move. And then the backgrounds are quite diverse. Like a lot of the people at the top of sports businesses do tend to have law backgrounds, uh, consultancy backgrounds, accountancy backgrounds, because intelligent people, no matter what sector they will, they'll rise. So senior decision makers tend to have those qualifications, but there's no, I know a lot of people who do general arts degrees, do general um, you know, uh, degrees in college, and then find their way. So I don't think there's any particular, I don't think you should have to focus on doing sports management a marketing a sports marketing degree i don't think that that for me that that hurt certainly hasn't been up my experience that people are willing to give you a chance if you're passionate and you and you, and you want to work hard i think that's the key for that's one of the reasons i got my roles was that i could i could show them i wanted to work but i had a passion and i had a i had a i had an education but it wasn't necessarily sports related so you've done a bit of work on both sides of in-house sponsorship uh working for properties so the interning seems like a massive thing with sports to just get a foot in the door. 100%. So you did a bit of interning with World Rugby yeah. and also with European Tour, European Tour Golf. Yeah, yeah. That's your two passions, golf and rugby. Yeah, it's kind of go hand in hand. Kind of makes sense. And to be fair, a little bit lucky, as you said, we were, black and white. we were black and white. I was quite lucky that I was able to get access to European Tour or World Rugby. And that was through people I knew to do internships and prove myself. Because you do have to, you know, if you're trying to get into this industry, you do have to do a few things like that. You will have to go and meet people for coffees and say, look, can you give me a chance? Unless you have a really good, you know, sports related background coming out of college, which isn't always the case, as I just said. But yeah, if you if you think there's an opportunity there, meet people, you know, show them what you want to do, ask them for an opportunity. Nine times out of 10 people want to help. And I was lucky I got those internships, did a lot of stuff that I laugh at now. And you think I probably would, definitely wouldn't do that now. But you have to earn your stripes in any industry and you, you have to do the things that, that you wouldn't do, you do as a junior, you wouldn't do as a, as a more senior person. Um, but internships are brilliant. I would 100% recommend, if you're thinking about it even now, go and speak to rights holders, go and speak to the likes of, of World Rugby and, and, and guys who, uh, sports organisations, to try and get a few weeks here and there because it will help. Um, even if you can get a general commercial role where you're helping in marketing, helping in events, just to get your experience, it, it, it would be a good idea, definitely. So having worked with ride holders such as the European Tour and World Rugby, you then make the big switch across to in-house where you worked with Aviva as a sponsorship manager. Yeah. How did you find that changeover from being an intern at the likes of World Rugby to that step up of sponsorship manager for a firm such as Aviva with you know, some serious sports sponsorships yeah. under their portfolio? From, you know, yeah, well, it was, it was a steep enough learning curve. To be fair, I was I was hired as an executive and then was sort of catapulted into that role. But it was it was a great role for experience and and it, it gave me experience right across the business because you had to work with the insurance brand, the Aviva, to work on their strategy with them. How sponsorship fits into that. The stadium, obviously, Aviva Stadium was a big asset, managing all the games, football and rugby, in there and the athletes on that side, and then the kind of activation stuff around grassroots. So it was really quite a broad experience and, and really good experience for me as well as kind of marketing and social media marketing as well. So it, I was lucky that role gave me a real um, broad experience. Now, the, 
I probably didn't expect to take on so much responsibility, but it was good and I really enjoyed it. And I look back really fondly on those days at Aviva, actually. Really good. It seems like one of those roles where you can automatically just kind of take different branches that might not necessarily be your responsibility or in your job spec in under in that sponsorship area 100 percent. you're yeah in a big organization like that people always come to you because you're the guy or you know you're the person who has the access to the stadium and all that sort of, so you'll get people pulling you left right and center but it does give you a good broad a sponsorship manager role i think does give you that real broad sense of sponsorship uh, activation marketing planning strategy gives you a really full full broad um, experience. And did you find in the sponsorship manager role that there was a lot of relationship management involved or or how did you find that? Um, there was, there was. You do, like, you, you know, you do have to manage relationships and you're expecting people to do things for you. And, you know, I think relationships, certainly in, in sport and sponsorship is, is, are very, very important. I think they are across business, but I think, you know, really, really working on relationships can help you down the line and, and, and always being, you know, uh, remembering if you're in a hole and someone digs you out, always remember that because, you know, relationships do stand to you and as you move jobs, those relationships hopefully will follow you as well. So it's good to try and, you know, to manage those well. That's, that's a skill that if you can develop that skill, I'm only, I'm obviously only starting to develop it, but it's, it's a great skill to have. So you've then transitioned from Aviva to the Pro 14. So you're in-house at Aviva. You've then gone to work for a property that's the Pro 14. Yeah. How different was that transition? I know your role in Pro 14 was like a sports strategy specialist, mm-hmm. which is obviously a step up from sponsorship manager. Mm-hmm. But how did you find the transition of working in-house for one brand and making sure that Aviva are well covered across sports mm-hmm. to the Pro 14 where you've got multiple kind of stakeholders? Yeah, it is. It is different, but it's it, it was enjoyable. I think a big brand like Aviva have their their brand values, and you you know very much what you're working with, um, and you've got your assets and you activate them, and, and that's all that's all very enjoyable, and that was a really good experience. Moving into a rights holder, like the Pro Fourteen, I suppose the thing is, if if anyone's listened to this, is if anyone hope people are listening to this, <laughs> the thing is, I knew in a short term what role I wanted in sport I didn't just start out and say I want to work in sport because that's too broad I said to myself I want to work in a commercial sales role eventually because you can make a wee bit of money that way selfishly because yeah. you, you know you can you can kind of you're the commercial side of the sport so so I knew I knew that was what I wanted to do so yeah my role in the Pro 14 you know just to give you a bit of a wee bit of context on the on the Pro 14 it's obviously just been rebranded to the United Rugby Championship but when I was in there there was a lot of change the commercial department had agreed had negotiated a lot of big TV deals, record-breaking deals, and there was obviously that ex- initial expansion into South Africa, and also you know the team at the time were 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 at the forefront of that private equity investment into Pro Fourteen. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of change, steep learning curve, um, and you know really good experience. But I mean, trying to sell a five-territory league is more difficult than you actually think. And I think the rebrand of the, of the league will actually help it further because I think it's it's helped it's strengthened the brand, but certainly uh, uh, selling a, it was it was challenging definitely challenging we had a lot of success but it was it was challenging, you know you think that your sport rugby is is the most important sport in the world, but you find out sometimes that isn't the case to some people, some brands want to get into Olympics some governments want to get into uh, into soccer into golf so it differs um, but it was a very good learning curve because you had to deal with. Um, quite a lot of rejection and you have to learn how to deal with rejection which is a good skill to learn because you're not getting yeses every every 
you know, every time you go to, to look for, for a new partner. Just touching on something you said, with the money that came in from CVC and private equity, yeah. did that put almost an increased pressure on you as a basically a sponsorship sales manager to, to get more sponsorship, to make this property a bit more money and make it a bit more... Yeah. <laughs> I don't make, know. Make it more profitable. Make it more profitable yeah. for them, yeah. But ultimately, yes. Like, that's that's why CVC have invested into the game. They, they see that they think that they can get a return on their money. So... Yes, driving sponsorship is is very important. But I think with any rights holder, and it's something that I, until I got into Pro 14, I wasn't fully aware of, is that typically the, the, the rights holders, their, their main source of income is going to be their TV and their broadcast. So there's less, you know, it's probably like an 80-20 split where I was, you know, so there's less pressure on the sponsorship. However, when CVC came in, you're 100% right, there was a an expectation that this would be ramped up. And I think that's certainly what you're seeing with, with rugby generally with CVC, you're seeing a bit of change now, certainly with the Pro 14's rebrand and and the, and the TV cycles and, and trying to get South Africa into the Six Nations. You're seeing that those chess pieces move around. I think it's good for the sport. Some people think that it's going to over, over-commercialise it, or, but I actually think ultimately it'll, it'll drive interest and drive the game forward. So just to look from quite an insular point of view, what did you actually do in your role with the Pro 14? Was it like your day-to-day, how was it broken down? Was it reaching out to clients on sales? Was it keeping your clients happy? Or, or how was the breakdown? Yeah, so I think really, in, again, in the in the Pro 14 example, there was a partnerships manager who managed the activations and there was a partnership sales, a partnerships lead, which was me. And I would go out, yeah, my day-to-day was packaging assets, uh, pulling together sales proposals, uh, ringing people, setting up meetings, trying to target people, target brands, uh, looking at the wider market of rugby and sponsorship and seeing right where's the opportunity here and as I said you know one of the big uh, block blocks to ourselves was the fact that it was across so many territories like if you're selling an Irish uh, league into an Irish market it's quite likely to get investment because it's very focused so so that was probably my, my biggest challenge but like I say you know you know Guinness were with the Pro 14 and I think I recently just pulled out of it but we're with them for so long and they got great value out of the partnership because they were selling tangible product at stadiums and they were driving return on their investment. And that's the sweet spot for any sponsorship is when there's a tangible money coming back into the, to the as opposed to just a branding or awareness piece, which is hard yeah. to measure. And that's a big challenge for any for any sponsorship uh, or any brand lead. The CEO or the leadership are going to say, you've put £100,000 into that. Am I going to see 150 back? It's very hard. It's hard to quantify that. Do you reckon the next sponsor will be a drinks brand? Because it was Magners, it was Guinness. <laughs> it was Rabo for a while, which was which was a bit of a break in the. And I'd say that was pretty hard to measure. I'd say so. I'd say so. Very much so. Um, I've been I've been away there for a long time. For the last, I haven't been in the company for six months. But it's, an alcohol brand does make sense, and I think, like I said, you know, I think that the rebrand will help them get secure a, a new title. So earlier this year, Chris, you made the big sports switch up from having previously worked on the side of the property, in this case, the Pro 14, across to player management, representation and servicing through founding Frontier Sports Management. Before we crack into Frontier and what exactly you do, I feel the perception of player management in Ireland from an outside point of view can often be quite diluted from the images we have of you know the states and the uk where it's a really sexy business and it doesn't seem like people are doing an awful lot of work most of the time it's quite a stark contrast to what's actually happening here in ireland yeah. where 
we've got a lot of one and two man bands in sports management who are servicing a great number of clients like there's a lot of people on their books you're taking a slightly different approach with frontier where you're looking a bit more boutique would it be fair to say where you're looking at managing a small number of clients and and really giving them the best all field service you could possibly give them yeah how did you actually go about acquiring the talent to build the business around in the first place yeah it's a good good question and i think um it was quite a I suppose it, 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 was a ch- it was a challenge, but I think the reason that, that my partner and I uh, got into this business or wanted to launch Frontier Sports was because we have between us quite a broad experience. He's, you know, Dermot is, is much more experienced than me and he's, he's, he's been at the forefront of big, big sponsorship deals, big broadcast deals, and he's worked in media and I worked on the more activation and sales side. So we had a good broad uh, spectrum. And on the talent piece, so how I got into that was, was a little bit right place, right time and a, a motivation to to do something further and the talent piece was because i you know from a demographic point of view i'm closer to age with the guys which helps it's one factor but you know i played with a lot of the guys in college i'd known a lot of the guys from being around the rugby circles and that was a good access point for me and that didn't guarantee me clients because there were guys that i that i was close with that maybe that that have other situations and loyalty is still a big thing in rugby which is great and I'm glad for that because because loyalty is important. But we wanted to basically go about setting a standard in a service that we'd offer a full service to these to our players, whereby they get their contracts, their endorsements. We help build their profile digitally and, and on broadcast, and we mentor them. And it's, and it's a full service. And as I said to you earlier, we want to keep that standard with our players right through their journeys, and make sure we don't overscale, because we want to keep keep that service. Because you know I can I can divide myself a certain amount of ways, but you know, we, we build up a resource if we need to. And going about getting talent is is a challenge. But as I say, it's about meeting people. It's ultimately about the relationship that, that, you, that you strike with this individual. Because your cell is your cell. But at the end of the day, these guys, the players, they're all individual, but they want to, you know, they want to be respected and they want to get, feel like they're getting a good service. And that's what we're, that's what we're selling. And there's a lot of professional rugby players in Ireland. There's over 200 so there is a big a big uh, market there. And as you say, there's a lot of guys who are, who are in it as one and two man bands. Um, so in Ireland, it, it may be harder to crack into it, you know, because we're not going to be resourcing up to 10 man teams. The UK is a much bigger market and it's got, unbelievably, the, the UK has got over 200 agents over there, you know, which is yeah. mental really compared to what Ireland is, which is, you know, maybe 15, 10, 15 guys who are actually live and operating. So there may be, there is a little bit of opportunity there, certainly for people listening, maybe to reach out for, for, because we will be looking for resource around, um, you know, helping to activate social and digital, bit of strategy stuff. So, you know, we're not a million miles away from that side. So, so I would always say, if you're interested in that, again, get the experience and see what's like behind the curtain and see if it, if it's, if it's for you. Again, back on the point of reaching out, see if people will do you a favor and get you in the door. 100%. Like, yeah, as I, as I see, there'll be a lot of situations and, and probably where people think, I don't want to bother him, I don't want to pick up the phone, or are you going to tell me to go away? Don't think like that. Like Genuinely, if you, if you want to get in front of someone and you annoy them in very commas enough, <laughs> they'll, get, they'll let you have a coffee, unless, unless you annoy them, but it's unlikely. So at the moment, Chris, yourself and your partner have a small number of clients on your books. You've got some seriously heavy hitters with the likes of Ronan Kelleher, 
Adam Byrne, Rory O'Loughlin, Ed Byrne, a couple of Irish internationals. So mm. some, some serious players to get up in your first crack. Thanks, no, thanks. Appreciate that. And where do you see, do you see it just being rugby frontier or do you think you're going to branch out maybe into, you've obviously got experience in golf, yeah. maybe taking a few guys off the challenge tour or, or what's, the, what's the views for frontier? I suppose rugby is, 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 is a good place for us to be. Mm. Uh, you know, we know the sport. We know where the money came in from private equity, being on that side of it. And we want to try and bring that sort of expertise to the players. So rugby is a good place for us to be. We want to, as I say, keep that service high and, and deliver for the boys. And, you know, do we see ourselves going outside rugby? Potentially, potentially. It depends on, the, on how the business uh, evolves. There is other sports there that like football is, is very lucrative, but I'd say it's a it's a dog eat dog yeah. environment. And but interestingly, someone said something very interesting me the other day that because of the of the implications around Brexit, Premier League clubs would be looking back to Ireland and other parts of the UK more so than they would have done previously because of the work permit situation. So there could be opportunities there because there could be a bit more uh, need for Irish players, which is which is something we might look at. But um, but yeah, to answer your question in short strategy is to kind of focus on rugby and do a really good job in rugby can't argue with that in terms of misconceptions around sports management there seems to be a lot of different opinions on it and what's the best for you and what's not i suppose obviously you've taken a very unconventional route in inverted commas uh from a real estate background but if you were to give a couple of pieces of advice to grads at the moment or even six-year students who are looking at going in you know what kind of course would you look at getting them into or what type of involvement in societies etc could they could they do to try and better their chances yeah it's 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 a a tough question i suppose because it is like sport not everyone you know sport isn't an overly trodden path like a lot of people find it after something else Mm -hmm. so i think i think general you know general business degrees marketing degrees you know, even even general arts and and and, and you know degrees um, like that, they, they all kind of work. You don't. That's the beauty of it. I think it. I think it's identifying the path. Like, you know, I think get the degree and enjoy it and, and enjoy your college unless you find a specific sports course you like. But then, as I say, it's it's mapping it out and saying right, what interests me. And if it really interests you, you'll know. If you know what I mean, you'll know the uh, and try and try and gather as much information about the the industry as you can, and then just go out and chase it and meet people. And really be proactive because it is the type of industry where it's not like law or medicine. You don't get get you don't get an easy you don't get a sorry that's not the right word. You don't get a, a kind of a blueprint for for rising up the ranks. You do have to kind of maneuver and and go out. So I'd say if I was to give advice, identify what you want to do broadly, whether that's sponsorship, strategy, marketing, sales, activation events. What's your personality type suit? Get the start. Get into an organization. And look, you could start off in events and you could go to be CEO, who knows? So get in the door, as we talked about earlier, and you have to be proactive. And, you know, even even yourself, you touched on it earlier, you know, you've got an interest in this and you've gone and, and chased it and you've got a good opportunity, but that sounds like you have to be proactive. And I think that's that's the sort of key, for me, the key takeaway is identify what you want to do in, in the industry and really go after it. So just in terms of personality traits and characteristics, there's obviously no set blueprint of you must have the following characteristics to go into sports management or if you have them, you won't necessarily be particularly good. But which have you seen are particularly prevalent in the industry and, you know, what could people work on um, to, I suppose, try and get a foot into the industry? 
yeah again brought like from my point of view when I wanted to do sales and, and I wanted to do uh, eventually moved into talent management a personality yeah very important I think being very comfortable in presenting being comfortable in, in high high pressure situations where you're responsible for revenue lines and you have to go out and sell if that's your if that's your game sales talent management again is very relationship based if you think you're you know a likable character who's got good commercial background knowledge about sport you know when you've done a bit of work in that space that that could work for you. you know a lot of talent managers are former players and, and that makes sense as well but we've come at it from a completely different angle because we aren't former players in inverted commas we didn't play professional rugby but we've worked between us in the, in, the, in in nearly every asset every facet of sport between Derby. so so we feel we've come at it from a different angle and hopefully that'll benefit the players and that's that's part of our that's part of our, our part of our strategy and then in terms of short-term ambitions for yourself and frontier what would you uh what do you envisage for the uh, the next couple of months for the company uh take over the world um <laughs> i think look genuinely look uh the business is frontier sports the, the frontier sports tech part of the business is, is something people are inquisitive about and not you know at the end of the day, tech and sport is the involvement of, of sport. It, you know, you've seen it in VAR. You've seen it with the way even people are entering stadiums at the moment because of COVID. It's all tech driven. So we, you know, we want to use data and use tech to better understand audiences and better understand values. And we touched about earlier being able to measure sponsorship is always a, is a bit of a challenge. We want to try and make that easier for brands and make that easier for the industry. And at the end of the day, that makes it more efficient drives revenues for rights holders, drives revenues for brands, drives revenues for players, everyone wins. So that's, from the tech side, that's what you kind of want to unlock. And also a bit of a fan experience piece, as I said to you earlier, just, just touched on there, but the, the COVID experience, tech has helped make that possible. When COVID eventually disappears, let's make the fan experience really interactive and, 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 and help and let tech help sport, you know, and let tech bring it forward. So that's the tech arm. And if anyone has any queries, let me know about that. I can I can touch on it further. The management arm is, is Frontier Sports Management. That's that's the bit I'm managing. And then the, there is a there is the Frontier Sports Partnerships arm, which is what Derwin and I have done a lot of in our careers. And when the world returns to life properly and, and full stadiums and full TV viewerships, we will uh, we'll activate that, which is kind of a partnerships arm. And um, so that's that's the ambitions. On the talent side, we want to scale up to about 12 to 15 players because that's the optimal. I think it's the fair number uh, to, to, to service the guys and, and to give them a good opportunity uh, both on the pitch and off the pitch. Um, and we'll obviously recruit intelligently and, and the guys we want to work with and good players. Um, so that's the ambitions. Hopefully uh, you can re-interview me in a couple of years and, and it all comes through, but we'll see what happens. There's obviously some big plans there for Frontier and uh, a lot of scope for expansion. So uh, wishing you all the best with that, Chris. I suppose just to finish, we uh, ask all our guests for one book recommendation, two if you'd like. I'm not too sure if you're a, uh, a big reader, but it can be sports related, non-sports related, whichever you like. Just a book that you've read that uh, has had quite an impact on you and, uh, and your career. So there's a book called Mindset by uh, Carol Dweck. Um, Dr. Carl Dweck and look, it's, it's, it's a good book for just for general uh, approach to, 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 your, to your mindset and how that can influence your, uh, so your interaction with, with your, your day-to-day life and how you can, you know, how you can actually um, you know, make that better and make that approach and that, that has helped me in some ways 
when I'm starting this, as I say, it puts you under a lot of pressure. So I'd have a look at that book. There's a lot of good autobiographies out there, obviously, and there's some good golf books that I mentioned to you earlier. That Bob Bertella was uh, his, his, his author. I'd say a few lads have read those, and they're good. They're good books. Um, but look, it's been great. I think that's 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 the height of my literacy uh, recommendations. But um, yeah. Uh, Chris, that's been absolutely great, mate. Thanks a million for taking the time to come on. Uh, I'm going to throw you under the bus, as I do to most guests, and just say, if you have a real keen interest in sports management, uh, talent management, reach out to Chris. Um, again, as he said, keep knocking on the door if you're keen enough. People will answer, and they'll be more than likely to, uh, more than happy to give you a chance. You can get Chris on LinkedIn, follow Frontier Sports Management on uh, Instagram as well. But uh, Chris, thanks for taking the time. Thanks, Danny.